0: Oh, wow, you bought cakes. Ah, come in. Welcome to Mitch Day's Storytime Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 11 of this lovely storytelling podcast. Today's episode is obviously a short story written by moi and performed by actor Sharon Fascinelli. Now, Sharon is a fantastic actor who I met again as I met Kate Feeney uh, through Director's Cut Theatre Company. And um, I thought when I first uh, saw her performing that I thought I have to write, I have to write for her voice. She's got a great voice, and this character um, that you're about to hear came into my mind, not based on her, but inspired uh, inspired by her. I like writing for actors. Um, In fact, all of the pieces that you've heard so far have all been written for the actors that have performed them. Um, I find that really inspiring, and uh, yeah, I just, um, yeah, I really like to... to I just control people and put my words uh, in their mouths, like the opposite of Ursula the Sea Witch. Um, I'm the other way around. I'm putting my voice into other people. Anyway, um, so let's get right to it. This is Good Girl Lewis, performed by Sharon Fasanelli
1: the scene. There I was in my beautiful one-bedroom department, finishing off a 5,000-piece jigsaw puzzle of Claire Balding embracing a Saint Bernard, when Lewis brought me a letter that would change our fates forever. Lewis was my miniature poodle, I should mention, we lived alone together, Lewis and I. I'd always wanted a dog named Lewis since I was small, so when we got her, I decided not to let her lack of male genitalia stop me. She was such a good girl fetching my post, but I have to admit she made for a lousy guard dog. Even the antiques roadshow made her quiver and whimper as though Freddy Krueger were in the and cupboard buttering a crumpet and tempting her inside. That was a recurring dream of ours. Anyway, I digress. The letter. The letter explained that the flat beneath ours was to be converted into a commercial unit, which, after a few nervous phone calls, I realised meant a shop. I was excited at first. A mini waitrose. My kingdom for a mini waitrose. Lewis and I love to share a waitrose lasagna and a bottle of schlur of a Sunday evening but it sadly wasn't to be. The shop set to open beneath my feet and Lewis's tiny leathery pads was to be a super value convenience store. I was disappointed, but I figured once it opened, I could ask the proprietress to keep a stock of Lewis's favourite, duck chunks. They don't smell very nice, but with a shandy in me, they're not so bad. What to dish up, I mean, for Lewis, obviously. With her tummy full of her duck chunks, she could almost make it through a tipping point without getting the collie wobbles. You won't have to miss your mummy for long trips to the shops now, Lewis, will you? Will you? I remember saying to my little puppy princess. She was six at the time, but she was still a tiny puppy in my mind. The construction was noisy, but it gave us something new to watch from the balcony. I would hold Lewis tightly to protect her from the noises and watch the builders as they came and went. I had to imagine in some pixelation to censor out one particular builder's bottom. How can I describe it exactly? You know when you lift the seat cushions on the sofa and there's a line of debris? That was the state of Tony, the construction worker's central cavity. Truly horrifying. When the shop finally had its grand opening, I was disappointed the young girl behind the till didn't understand how to order in my duck chunks. I explained to her that Lewis had anxiety and needed things to be just so. She needed more convincing this girl, so I mentioned that Lewis used to bark viciously at anyone with a darker complexion, which was truly mortifying. But I stopped buying the Daily Mail and it cleared up almost overnight, so that's no problem anymore, I boasted. She's very sensitive, I added. But then, from above us, we both heard it. Oh, no, that's her now, I said, becoming a little anxious. The young girl raised an accusing eyebrow. No, no, she only backs at you, now, it's definitely not the other thing. I cured that affliction by replacing all the newspapers with books. Sadly, I had been right about the youths, though. I hadn't considered this as a potential problem before. Otherwise, I would have objected to the planning application when I had the chance. How could I have been so stupid? Youths gather at shops. Even in my day, my mother used to say to me, The only thing you'll get from hanging out at the shops, Olivia, is pregnant. I only ever wanted to go out to buy sweeties, so this confused me greatly. For years, I was convinced the government were hiding semen in the flying saucers. I obediently steered clear. The last thing I wanted was to start growing some sort of mouth baby. I could see the youths approaching, so I dashed upstairs and found poor Lewis running in circles and urinating her worry sprinkles everywhere, creating a stain that looked exactly like Derricka Cora. It's okay, mummy is here, sweetheart, I said as she cowered in my arms. I popped her onto my chest and I buttoned up my cardigan around her so that just her tiny face was poking out nervously beneath my chin. This was Lewis's happy place, but she still shook violently. I peered through the French doors and counted. one, two, three, four, twelve 12 of them. I was terrified. A grown woman terrified by children. Can you imagine? It might have been considered ridiculous if it hadn't always been the case for me. Groups of youths frightened me when I was a youth myself. I have to be strong for Lewis, I told myself, but how could normal life resume for us with these young hooligans taking up residence? That first night, I dreamt they demanded I listen to K-pop and sell Meow Meow on their behalf. When I woke the next morning, I was convinced they'd murdered a lamb and left it in my bed as a warning. I screamed so loudly, the poor Lewis, definitely not a dead lamb, ran faster than I've ever seen her and cowered in the gap beside the fridge. This had become known as Lewis's panic room. It took me ages to encourage her out with a biscuit. She'd wriggled forward for one, put out a paw for two, and then finally re-entered the flat for a third. Poor thing. She had no idea that worse horrors were yet to come. I had stayed indoors for weeks, fearing the young people, but one morning I'd had enough. I picked Lewis up and gave her a little pep talk. Now listen, this is our home, not theirs. It's a lovely balcony and that's where we sit and cuddle and we will never give up, we will never surrender. Lewis seemed to be buoyed up a little by my speech but I was not quite convinced by my own fake confidence. Her tail wagged in approval and I opened the doors, folded out my blue chair and sat there with Lewis cautiously. The youths, seven of them that day, were laughing and smiling. Such awful behaviour frightened the life out of me. I remembered it well from my time at Lakeland Girls' School. How the other girls would smile at me with their cruel lips and stare at me through the corners of their demon eyes. I knew they didn't like me from the start, I could tell. And something about me was always very amusing to them. But what? There was never any reason. I wanted to grab them by their ugly pigtails and scream, what is it that's so funny, Claudia Ramigan? What is it that's always so funny? The youth seemed to be aware of that same joke about me. What did they know? What was it that they could all see in me that was so funny? One of them laughed like a demented hyena and pointed in my direction. Two of them were whispering and another dropped an empty crisp packet on the floor. Oi! I yelled and they all shut up and looked straight at me. My head suddenly felt like it was hotter than the rest of my body. Pick that up right now, you awful criminals, I demanded with an involuntary wobble in my voice. A sign of weakness, a tiny tremor only dogs and youths could pick up. They knew I was frightened, and I knew I'd just started a war. They had dropped a bomb on a neighbouring nation, and I had to become a Churchillian figure. It was a fight-or-flight moment. Two of the boys looked at one another and laughed, a fake laugh to assert their power. Lewis started yapping loudly at them from my lap, which made one of the girls jump and say, OMG! In such a way I knew she got overexcited by Primark and the prospect of an early morning Burger King. Lewis continued to growl and bark, a tiny set of teeth looking quite menacing. I wondered if she was compensating for that wobble she'd heard in my voice becoming the new alpha in our path. Perhaps I would have to call her mummy and get her to pick up my faeces from now on, I remember thinking. Come on, Lewis, I demanded, pointing indoors, but she didn't budge, so I scooped her up and retreated, slamming the balcony doors behind me. I wasn't Winston, I was the other one. I remember thinking, this is it, I can't live here anymore." Seven years in my flat just to be chased away by teenagers. But before I could leaf through the flats in the local paper to plan an escape, I saw a sudden flash of red. It wasn't my anger, though. No, because it was followed by a flash of silver. Something had hit the glass of my French doors. I reached for my better glasses and focused my eyes on the missile. Their litter... They were throwing their grotty litter onto my balcony. A half-finished bag of roast beef monster munch dropped onto my potted lavender next, sending golden crumbs everywhere. Stop it, I cried out, swinging the doors back open. Stop it, stop it! But I only heard sniggering and satisfied laughter in response. I ran to my phone and dialed two nines before my heart started pounding rapidly. What could I have said to the emergency services exactly? Pathetic grown-up lady scared of some children. I replaced the handset and had to sit down. I counted backwards from a hundred and took some breaths. Lewis, however, was going berserk. I'd left the balcony doors wide open and she hadn't run to me as she usually would. The next bit I recall in slow motion every time it enters my head. Lewis, in all her aggression, scrambling up the pot of plants and accidentally flinging herself up and over the balcony. I remember so clearly the sight of her tiny hind legs flipping through the air like a rag doll. I ran to her, hitting the railings with a smack, my hands clinging to the bar as I stared down at the car park beneath me. By some miracle, she was alive. She was startled and rigid with angst. Her back was arched like a cat about to strike. "'Lewis!' I called, but she couldn't see or hear anything beyond the scared teens surrounding her. I rushed into the flat and out of my front door without even thinking to lock it. I could easily imagine one of the bigger boys kicking her, so I needed to get there quickly. When I made it outside, the youths were still there, but not my Lewis.' I grabbed one of the girls by her shoulders and pleaded. Where did she go? Where's my dog? I don't know. She ran off that way, the girl pointed, no longer laughing. No, no, Lewis, Lewis, please come back, Lewis. Dinner, I called. I had already started to sob. Without any shame, I should add. There is no, it's only a dog about it. Lewis was my world. Without her, my life was meaningless. "'How could you do this to me?' "'It's not our fault,' protested one of the boys. "'His once grey tracksuit bottoms looking as though they'd been used as an elephant's wet wipe.' "'Of course it is,' I barked at him. "'Why are you here, throwing your rubbish onto my property and terrifying my poor baby?' "'People live here. What is wrong with you, huh? "'Why do you always come here? Why? Why?' The group began to disperse, obviously sensing trouble and scared by the crazy woman shouting at them. Lewis! Lewis, please come back, Lewis! But there was no sign of her. The whole world did a spin and my body found the floor with a smack. I remember hearing frantic footsteps next. Loud at first, but then fading. Fading because they were running away. After a moment of complete darkness, I heard a boy's voice. Are you okay? he asked. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, What do I do? he said. It was only a few seconds I was actually out for, I think. It took my brain a moment or two to reboot itself. I propped myself up on one arm and tried to call out, Lewis, Lewis, I called, nowhere near loudly enough to be heard. The boy, one of the terrors, looked at me nervously with his hands scratching at his face and tears forming in his eyes. I'm sorry, I'm really, really sorry, he said, shaking like my now missing miniature poodle. My dog, my poor dog. I'll help you find him, the boy said. He was the skinniest boy of the group, light-haired and nervous-faced, completely unthreatening. Why is it that they're all like this when they're alone, but monsters together? Like a school of fish, I supposed. Where did she go? I demanded, grabbing his T-shirt in my fist like I might have actually punched him. This way, he said, wiping away his guilty tears and helping me to my feet. He led me into a small woods next to us where Lewis and I would often take our walks. I hoped that perhaps she'd fled there to get her usual poo-poo spot. So I took over the search and headed in that direction. I'm sorry about my friends, the boy said, panting as he walked, still full of nerves. I I, I told them, I told them not to throw those things, but they wouldn't listen. Well, perhaps you need better friends then, terrorising a woman in her own home. They're not usually that bad, they just got carried away. They ran. Only guilty people run, I said. They scared my poor Lewis away. I'm sorry, he said. I'll stay with you till he's found. She, she, Lewis is a girl. Not all Lewises are male, you know. You should never just assume. I'm sorry I didn't know that. I'll remember it from now on, though. We got to the right spot, but still no sign. Lewis, Lewis, I called in vain, and I started to cry again, which obviously didn't help whatsoever. I'm sorry, the boy said yet again. We'll find her, I promise. Why do you have to do it? Hang out at the shops. Why? Why outside my home? To see each other. Well, I'm sure you've all got homework to do. None of which should have anything to do with ruin in my life. Your friends are layabouts and criminals. They didn't mean it. I'll get them to apologise. Honestly, I will. Monsters, don't apologise. They're not monsters. They're sorry too, I know they are. What reasons could you possibly all have to spend all your time outside my window laughing at me? We weren't. I mean, not before today. Don't lie to me! And, and we stay there because there is literally nowhere else to go. Your homes? Are you telling me you're all homeless? Sharon's dad drinks, he said, which did shut me up for a moment. Aaron, who threw the rubbish first? He lives with his nan in a small flat and doesn't really have room for us to go round. He's a show off, but he can't really do anything at home other than sit quiet. And Claire's parents, I'm sorry, but this isn't helping find my Lewis, I reminded him, who you and your friends terrified into running away. She'll be so scared. I have to find her. And being poor or having bad or less parents than most isn't an excuse for anti-social behaviour. I'm sorry, he said, blushing. But honestly, we didn't mean any harm. We were just hanging out. We didn't know we were disturbing you. He seemed genuine. Had it all been in my head? He was so apologetic and quivery, that boy. I was starting to wonder if he was actually Lewis in human form. Had she morphed into this nervous boy? A few moments later, I saw her through the leaves and trees and out through the other side of the woods. A tiny lamb like shape was yapping in midair. I pointed and was about to scream her name when I realised there was an arm around her. Someone had caught her. I started to run in the direction, but I wasn't quick enough. The boy ran much faster and suddenly came to a stop. Oh no, he said. Don't stop. What, What are you doing? I cried out, exhausted from running. I know that couple, he said, and the tone of his voice frightened me. Louis. I called, and she yelped in response for a mummy. The boy covered my mouth to stop me calling again. I could see the man and woman now slightly clearer through the trees. They didn't look particularly special. Those are the Williams who live on Saffron Road. Saffron Road? But that's a nice street. They're not nice people. Well, they can't take my dog. We have to get her back. I said, but the nervous boy's eyes filled with tears again and he shook his head desperately. Please don't. Well, then I'm going to call the police. No, you can't do that either. They might. He began, but he lost his words. I knew he meant that they would hurt my Lewis if I did. It was just getting worse and worse. My fear of those children had led to my dog being taken by the real bad guys, and what could I do? I felt like I might faint again, but then the nervous boy held my hand and put his other on my shoulder, which took me by surprise. I promise we'll get her back. I have an idea. I think I can get her out of their house tonight, but I need your help. I honestly didn't know what to think at that point. We were going to have to break Lewis out as though she were a prisoner of war. I heard the bad people's car door slam shut and their engines start up. I could do nothing but watch helplessly as Lewis and her dognappers drove away into the distance. How? How could we get her? I have to save her. Are you willing to do anything to get her back? Even if it's against the law, he said. My mind raced. Was he going to sell me a sawn-off shotgun to go and raid this house of theirs? I have to save her. I have to save her, I repeated, seemingly ready to become a criminal in order to rescue my poor baby. He looked at me reassuringly and simply said, follow me.
0: Aha! Yes, it's a two-parter. That was not the end of the story, poor little Lewis. And by the way, did you notice that uh, I made a cameo appearance during that podcast as the voice of Lewis? Because I was a whimpery dog in a previous life. Um... So, uh, yes, the character of Lewis is based on me, and uh, the, um, the rest of the story is uh, imagined, although the fear of youths hanging out at shops is probably genuinely in my head. Um, so I do empathise with this character, or maybe she's me, who knows. You will have to wait until episode 12 to find out what has happened to poor little Lewis. Thank you very much to Sharon uh, for appearing on the podcast. Um, And um, I'm not going to say much more other than please give this podcast five stars. Please leave a review. Nothing long, not essays. Just loved it. That's enough. That is enough. Thank you ever so much for listening I think those uh, eyelash, eyelashes that you've got on make you look wonderful. The um, the contacts that you're wearing that give you like snake eyes make you look divine, and um, and those little sort of pixie green shoes with a little bell on the end, love those. And um, the dungarees. I mean, it's not the fashion choice I would have made, but I think you look lovely. So um, so yes. See you next time for episode 12, because anything else, well, it would be a little bit odd now, wouldn't it?
1: This way, he said, holding his guilty. Oh, no, do it again. I'll help you fat. Right. This way, he said, w- wiping away in the because he could hear me changing his words. Sir. This way, he said, wiping uh, He said, wiping away. Let me just do it. He said, wiping away. Right. Okay. She'll. Oh, do you want me to stop? Because those dogs are going mental. <laughs> my fear of those children has led my dog. Led two might. Why can't can't I say two? Was he going to sell me a sawn-off shotgun to go and raid his house of theirs? Do that bit again.